so fun. I just came from a meeting on the uh, top floor, just house church leaders, and uh, just their excitement about ministering here at Crossroads and in that capacity. Uh, if, you're, if you're not in something like a house church or into something where it's all broken down into uh, something a little bit smaller, I just really encourage you uh, to think about, about doing that. Uh, the other thing I, I want to just bring to everyone's attention, um, I, we, we probably don't talk about this kind of stuff near enough. It's actually going to be the topic we talk about today uh, from the book of Mark, but it's just money. And um, we are $100,000 behind our budget right now. Uh, we're not uptight about that. Uh, we're definitely tightening our belt as tight as we can. Uh, every, every penny is blood money to us. We treat it that way. Uh, but it's up something, too, that we just want you guys to be aware of, uh, especially as we're going to be heading into... Uh, a season where we like to also give. Uh, we have some projects that we would like to give to uh, for year-end giving. giving. Uh, so, yeah, making you aware of just where that stands today. Okay, we're in Mark chapter 10. Let's uh, turn there right now. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have been coming the last couple of weeks and you're kind of like, wow, this is a little bit heavy, uh, I, I wish today I could say, well, it's going to be light today, but it actually isn't. <laughs> Let's uh, stand for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus and said, good rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered his question with a question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's actually teasing something out of this person. <laughs> Who do you think I am? <laughs> Are you on your knees because you think I'm that good? God good? No one is good except God alone. And here's Jesus' answer to the man's question. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Rabbi, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And here's the invitation. Then come follow me, be my disciple. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed, and I don't even think the word amazed really captures it now. Uh, they're horrified. <laughs> and they said to each other, thank goodness that rich people can't enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> no, they feel implicated. Who then can be saved? 
And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are, po- are possible. And then Peter spoke up, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children in fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, which is eternal life. For many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You can be seated. So as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, um, and it's right here in the first clause of of our text today, uh, where it says, uh, as Jesus started on his way, Jesus is is, is literally walking a path, and this isn't just a path uh, to get from point A to point B, but Uh, This is a path where, as Luke's gospel said, his face is set like flint on the destination of of this path. Um, This path is leading somewhere. This path is going to take Jesus to a cross. And and I want us to think about something in in regards to this path. Um, this, This path that Jesus is walking was fashioned. It was created by the author of the universe. And, and, and Jesus, so, so it's, this isn't some accidental path. This, this, this path has been fashioned. It's been created. Um, it, it, it's the path that uh, before the foundations of the world, God was already choosing to walk this path. And, and, and this path that Jesus is walking is also the path that he's calling his disciples to walk. It's the path that he's calling us to walk. It, it's, it's the path that will, it'll change a life. It'll resurrect a life. And if enough people actually uh, choose this path, the path that Jesus walked, that he invites us to walk, if enough people also walk this path, it will change and resurrect the whole world. And that's why the topics discussed on this journey, um, the topics of sin, the topic of marriage last week, and today the topic of money, it's not coincidental that these are the things that are being talked about on on this path because these things have everything to do with discipleship. And what's discipleship? Discipleship is what Peter says in verse 28 when he says, look, Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. That's the heart of discipleship. And if we don't understand that, then we've entirely missed it. These disciples have done that. Yeah, I know that they don't always show well. I know they say the wrong things oftentimes. I know there are other times when they lack faith. I, I, they argue about who is the greatest. Um, who knows, even at this point, do they really understand who Jesus is and, and what his mission is? I mean, Jesus just said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> uh, 
But a disciple is not someone who has arrived. It's not someone who has perfect faith. A disciple is not someone who has perfect theology, who, who show themselves perfectly. In fact, I think I could make the argument that you could have perfect faith, perfect theology, show yourself perfectly, and still not be a disciple. A disciple is simply someone who has left everything to follow Jesus. And these 12 have done that. And that's been the question on my own heart this week. Am I a disciple? Are you a disciple? Because I think one of the biggest barriers to us being disciples is what we're going to talk about today, money. Let's start with talking about this man. Uh, this, this man is, is oftentimes called the rich young ruler. Um, maybe even you have it in your, one of your subheadings. Um, it's implied that he's rich. It's never really clearly stated. Both Matthew and Luke also tell this story. They also never describe this man as rich, but it's, it, it's certainly Im- implied in the text. He's, he's rich. Luke also gives us this detail. Luke calls him a ruler. So not only is he rich, but he's a ruler. He's someone who's in charge. He has power. Uh, maybe think CEO. And Matthew gives us this detail. Matthew tells us that he's young. Hence the title, Rich Young Ruler. Now, I think it would be wrong for us, though, to make this man into some young, arrogant, rich snob. That's not this guy. First, see how he approaches Jesus. Do you see his humility? Astonishing. You have to understand, this is now not just Jesus and his disciples making their way to Jerusalem. This now is, is uh, pilgrims from all over the land and, and the, the world of that time, uh, all uh, flocking and flowing into Jerusalem. And this man, when he sees Jesus, surrounded by crowds of people, runs to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And I see something just really genuine and sincere about this guy. Uh, he, he senses, he knows that there's something missing in his life uh, when he says, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here you have a guy from from a worldly perspective. I mean, this man has everything, but he still feels as if he is missing something significant in his life. And he is humble enough to admit it, and he is desperate enough to seek it. And so he asked Jesus what might be the ultimate question. How do I get eternal life? And now this question of, of, of eternal life is, is one of those prevalent questions, one of these hot topics of debate in Jesus' day. And I think it's really important for us to understand uh, that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, in, in the way that they would understand that question in their time. Uh, because our, our notion of eternal life is, is very Greek. Uh, eternal life to us is our ticket to heaven. 
Eternal life to us is, is escaping this world uh, for another world that we call heaven. But that's not what eternal life was in their mindset. To them, eternal life is much more earthy. It, it, it's something that I participate in this world. In fact, you can see it even from the text when you look closely at it. Um, there are synonyms used for eternal life. Sometimes it's eternal life. Sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven. It's because uh, eternal life is synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is heaven breaking in here. It's something that I experience right now. It's this life of shalom. It's to have my entire life in harmony with God and all that God has created and then when you add to this understanding, then when Messiah finally comes, he's going to bring in the messianic age or the age to come. And not only will the curse be undone, but he's going to swallow up death, making this new age an eternal one. Now, Jesus' answer to his question, I think, should shock us. <laughs> if someone asked you this question, how... Do I inherit eternal life? Would you even know what you would answer? And I think most of us will go to uh, verses like John 3, verse 16, or other verses like it, and unpack the whole plan of salvation, but that's not what Jesus says to this man. He basically says, are you obedient to God? Are you a wholehearted person? And honestly, this is how every rabbi in Jesus' uh, day would have answered this question because wholehearted obedience is how a person participated in the kingdom of, of heaven. Uh, sin is what brings chaos. Wholehearted obedience is what brings shalom. Then take note of the commands that Jesus highlights. Have you robbed have you lied? Have you exploited? It's almost like he's implying that to be rich means you probably didn't get it through wholehearted obedience to God. This man gives basically his moral report card to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've gotten A's going all the way back to when I was a child. I've aced it. Notice that Jesus does not argue with this man. In my opinion, Jesus believes him. In fact, the text says that Jesus loved this man. This is the only person in Mark's gospel that it says this about another person, that Jesus loved him. Now, in your minds, please don't make this man an unbeliever. Uh, what Jesus is looking at is a godly man, a young man who would make a great disciple, which is why Jesus ends it with, come follow me. Be number 13. Be my disciple. And I just look at this man. Here he is, bowed at Jesus' feet in front of all these people. And he's humbly asking Jesus, Jesus, there is still something lacking in my life. Help me. And Jesus, seeing the heart of this man, says, let me tell you what it is that you lack. Go and sell all that you own 
give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And, and, and even here in this story, um, the, the man's response to me is amazing. He doesn't argue with Jesus. He isn't defensive. He doesn't try to spin this thing or, or, or explain like, he, he's too genuine. He's, he, he's too humble. He knows that Jesus got it right. He knows that Jesus just put his finger on the very thing that he lacks. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when, when, when someone says to you, you lack this? Or you fall short here, or, or, or you're missing this important piece? You know, it, it could be something worldly. You lack friends, or you lack status, you lack talent, you lack personality, you lack intelligence, you lack personality, you lack likability. Or it could be something that's more more spiritual or moral, you lack humility, you, you lack kindness, you lack maturity. I mean, our, our world does let us know uh, what, what it is that we lack. Uh, it, sometimes it screams that, those lacks at us. But so does God. God will, God will show us that the only difference between the, the world is the world usually puts its finger on the wrong things that we lack, and God puts his finger on, on the right thing. But when these things are pointed out to you, are you touchy? Are you fragile? Are you defensive? Does it wreck you? And if so, Why? Why can't you be imperfect? Why can't you fail? Why can't you be lacking in something? Could it be that life is all about you? How well you perform it? How well you think it? How well you achieve it? My whole life, Jesus, I've done this perfectly since I was a youth. And the text says that this man went away sad. Uh, I, I, I hate to be this guy, but when I study that word, uh, sad doesn't really capture what's going on in this man's heart. He is literally devastated. In fact, Mark uses a very unique word for sadness here that means intense grief. And Mark will use this word uh, for sadness um, for intense grief, only one other time. Uh, he'll use it to describe Jesus when Jesus is in Gethsemane, when Jesus is experiencing that intense grief, uh, literally a grief that caused Jesus to sweat drops of blood. And then you ask yourself, well, why is Jesus experiencing that kind of grief? He's experiencing that kind of grief because he's about to lose the very core of his identity. He's going to lose his father. He's going to lose the true center, the true security, his ultimate treasure. And I don't think it's coincidence that, that Mark only uses uh, this same word for intense grief in these two places of Jesus and this man. They're, they're, they're both sweating drops of blood over the prospect of losing what is at the core of their identity. For Jesus, it's his father. For this man, it's his money. 
he can't bear the thought of losing it. See, the problem with money is not money. There's nothing sinful or inherently wrong with money or even having money. In fact, last week we talked about the creation mandate, about God literally handing over the keys of the universe to Adam and Eve and to steward that universe for the glory of God. And and wealth creation is at the heart of the creation mandate. Wealth creation is this God-given gift to make a God-given earth to produce. It's one of the primary ways where we are like our creator, where we're made in his image, where we bear his likeness. In fact, to those in this room right now who have this gift, I want to apologize if the church has ever made you feel guilty for exercising this gift. Uh, The Bible says use this gift, use it for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. Because the problem is not money, it's the love of money. It's when money comes in and becomes what it became to this rich young ruler. His true center, the source of his identity, the source of his significance and his security. It became his his real savior. This is why Jesus says in verse 25, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he uses this idiom with his disciples. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've heard a lot of crazy uh, uh, interpretations on what it means for, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, it's, it's just simply an idiom. We have idioms too. It's It's like saying a snowball's chance in hell. I mean, it's impossible is what Jesus is saying. And here's where we have to just start to to think that that wealth is this incredibly dangerous and, and potent reality. I mean, Jesus himself, I don't know if you know this, but he talks about money 10 times more Then he talks about sexual immorality. In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware, caution, be on your guard. For what? For all kinds of greed. For the love of money. Why is is Jesus saying this about about greed, that, that, that... uh, we, it, it's something that we just have to caution, beware. I think it's because the love of money is something that we just don't see. And it's something that can sneak its way into our hearts and into our lives, and we can be infected with this without even knowing it. And why is this? It's, it, it's because we're not good historians. We're we're not good at, 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 at looking at where we live, in what particular time, um, the place we live. Uh, I don't even know, like, if you right now in this room are, like, feeling bad for rich people, not knowing that I'm actually talking probably to you. Do you know if you make $29,000 right now a year, Only 5% of the world makes more than you. If you belong to a household 
That would be mom, dad, all the siblings, maybe even grandpa and grandpa. And you collectively all together make $60,000 a year. Only 10% of the world makes more money than, your, than that household. See, here we are. We, we are the most wealthy people in the most wealthy country in the history of the world. And we don't know that we're rich. In fact, most of us spend so much of our time talking about what we can't afford. And see, this is why money holds such power over us because money promises to give us everything that our hearts instinctively long for. Just start with the heart longing for significance. We can't help but connect our self-worth to our net worth. The more we get, the better we feel about ourselves. That's why Jesus says a man's life does not consist on the abundance of his or her possessions. Or how about this, this, this deep need for security and, and what money does, it comes in and it gives us this illusion of control. It makes us think that we have control over our lives and control over other people and control over our, our present, control over our future. That's why Jesus tells the parable of the rich young fool who builds bigger and better barns thinking that Jesus says, you fool. You don't have any more control. Money promises uh, us that ticket to get inside, whether uh, it gets us into the nice neighborhoods or to the clubs or the nice restaurants, the world of privilege. It gets us to the upper floor on the Titanic. Exactly. And see, then in a world that, that more and more categorizes people as winners and losers, money tells me I'm not a loser, and it lets me pretentiously think that I might be a winner. See, this is why money is more than money, because we begin to look to money for what only God can give us. And we know what I'm going to say next. We, we, we know what money in the end does give. I mean, it gives us a tribe of people that are fake, controlling, pretentious, and manip manipulative. I've lived enough life to know that. You know, it's people like Larry. <laughs> um who has become such a good friend of mine who could probably hold everything that he owns in his two hands. And you know what I can count on? Because Monday's my day off, my first day when I show up at Crossroads. As I drive in, Larry's gonna be right outside there. So happy to see me. And he knows I'm happy to see him. Eric, every Sunday, there's Eric in his wheelchair greeting us. Brother, friend, I want you to know that these are more than friends. These are safe places. They're saviors. They're many saviors. They confront me with the bankruptcy of riches. 
Money in the end is a ripoff. It keeps us actually from the best things in life and it keeps us from becoming our best. And it never delivers on what it promises. And here's how, how, how we can know if, if, if we're infected with the sickness of greed. Is money something that you worry about? Jesus said, stop worrying about money. Stop worrying about earthly treasure. Stop worrying about food and clothes. That's what the Gentiles worry about. Do you resent people who have it? Do you envy them? Is your life consumed with getting it? Is your life running after it? Or how about this? Can you give it away? Are you generous? I mean, the things that we could do with our money today, it, it, it's staggering. I'm talking about in terms of the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do we break the power of money? How, how do we get to the point where, where we can be radically generous? Where, where, where we are literally set free from the, the power that money can hold on us? And Jesus does put his finger on the answer to that question when he says, go and, and sell and give. Give it away. Become radically generous. Because Jesus says in another place, he says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. In other words, what Jesus is saying, that where we place our treasure, our, our hearts will follow. But here's what it, it, it comes down to. If you're like me, you need more than a rule. You need your heart to be changed. And see, right now, everybody in the center of their soul treasures something. And whatever that thing is, it could be money, but it could be a whole host of different things. We try to fill our soul with, with the beauty of that thing and the delight of that thing and the pleasure of that thing. And we start to think that, that if I have that thing and the more I get of the, that thing, that my life is worth it, that I'm worth it. Which is why we pay a, a huge price to get that thing, whatever that thing is. And, and we end up giving much of our life to get that thing. And over time, that thing, whatever it is, will change us and transform us into that thing. This is why Jesus shows up and says, I must be that thing. I must be the pearl of great price. I must be that thing that causes you to, to, to be willing to give up everything so that you can get me. And that is exactly what Jesus offers this, this rich young ruler. At the very end, he says, come, follow me, be my disciple. Jesus is inviting him in. And this is why this man walks away sad, why he's just grieved, because he knows that the true source of his identity, his security, his significance, the center of his life, that he can't let go of it. And he actually has the guts to admit it. He can't give it up. And now his imperfection is exposed because this guy can't even keep the first commandment, which is you shall have no other idols before me. 
But I believe today that if I actually preach this text the way Jesus would probably preach it, we'd probably all go away sad today. What is your precious? What is the real center of your life? What is the real source of your identity and your security? And how would you respond if Jesus just came in and said, okay, go and give that up, give that away? Could we do that? See, for our hearts to treasure Jesus above all things, we need this radical experience of God's grace that radically changes our heart. Because until that happens, it'll all just be a law or a sense of duty or an obligation. And that's why I think in Luke's gospel, Luke, Luke records the same story um, and, and it ends the same way here, where Jesus says it's impossible uh, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then he says, with man, all things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Um, and, and he moves right from that story into another story of another rich man, filthy rich man, Zacchaeus. And there's Zacchaeus just sitting in that tree, and, and we think it's because, well, Jesus is coming, and he's short, and so he's got to prop himself up. But listen to me, rich people never sit in the nosebleed section. They always get the front row seat. But Zacchaeus, here's the deal. He's up in that tree as a fellow Jew, Jew But he's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He's a traitor. He's despised and he is rejected. And to every Jew, Zacchaeus is unclean. Everyone knows it, Zacchaeus knows it. And Jesus walks off the beaten path. He goes right up to this despised and rejected man, the town's worst sinner, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, can I come to your house today? Now you need to know, this is more than just Jesus saying, hey, can, can you and I hang out and spend some time together? No, to actually invite yourself into someone's house or to be invited into someone's house was was of real significance, it's like Jesus saying to this man, can I come into your life? Would you come into my life? Can we have a relationship? That's the moment. That's the moment when this power of money, this love of money, it is, it is broken. And Zacchaeus inviting Jesus into his home. And Jesus being in that home is a picture of Jesus being invited into this man's heart. And we see in the story how much he is set free from the love of money. How he's no longer running after money. How his life is no longer defined by money. He, he at one point in the conversation with Jesus says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back them four times the amount. Torah instructed that you pay them back just the amount. He says four times the amount. He's going way past the requirement, way past the rule, 
way past the law. Why? Because his eyes have been opened. His heart has been changed. He is set free. And I love this. There's, when he says, look, Lord. It reminded me uh, when my kids were, were, were really young. I, I can still see Kate. Her, her first time learning to swim, she's in the pool, and she keeps yelling out to me, uh, look, Daddy, look, Daddy, I can swim. And she wanted me to just take delight in the fact that she is swimming. And here's Zacchaeus saying, look, Lord, look, Lord, my heart's changed. Has your heart been changed? Are you the rich young ruler or are you Zacchaeus? What is God today putting his finger on? And by the way, it's such a loving thing when God comes into our life and he puts his finger on this or he puts his finger on that. Uh, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's, it, it makes us sad. It causes us to grieve. But he's only doing this because he loves us. And he's tired of us living these bankrupt lives. And he wants us to have joy, satisfaction in him. And I look at this, the difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. In verse 20, the rich young ruler says, all these I've kept. (laughs) That's what he's into. He's into keeping. Verse 28, the disciples say, Jesus, we have left everything. We've kept nothing to follow you. And this is the question. It really comes down to what are we keeping? What are we hanging on to? And if we really want Jesus to be our Savior, we need to stop looking at other things to be our Savior. And we need to leave them behind. And the only way that you and I will become like Zacchaeus is if Jesus becomes our ultimate treasure the center of our life. And then we have to be left asking, and I'll end with this, because the heart is what it is. We're talking about the heart. How does that happen? We'll start with this. Why is Zacchaeus in that tree? Because he's despised, he's rejected, He's despicable, but Jesus walks up to him, invites him to come down from that tree, to leave that old, miserable tree that represents his life for this new life that he can have in Christ. I want relationship with you, Zacchaeus. And keep going. How can Jesus now do this? How how, how can he, as a, a, a holy all pure, radiant one, invite this despicable sinner into relationship with him. Well, do you see that Jesus is a rich young ruler? Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. Jesus is young. He's, he's 30 years of age. He's the one with ultimate riches, ultimate glory, ultimate power, and he left it. He gave it all up so he could come to this world and go up a different tree 
And he will hang on that tree as one despised and rejected. Jesus takes Zacchaeus' place. And when you and I begin to see God's picture and our place in that picture, this picture can change our hearts. And it will move us to what we have to give, to what we get to give. God, thank you for coming to this world and laying aside all your glory. You left it all behind. And thank you for becoming the ultimate rich young ruler except you gave it all up to hang on a tree. God, may that delight our hearts, may it thrill our hearts, may it fill our hearts, may it cause our hearts to explode with joy and grace and your love. And may it cause us, Lord, to give as you give. You didn't tithe your life, you gave your life, all of it. Cause our hearts to see that, to know that, so we could become like that. In Jesus' name, amen.